0: Get up, one more round. <laughs> get up, don't let it down like this guy hard. Come on, come on. He's no machine. I
1: get the end of hell. Get up, you son of a bitch. It's making love. You. Hello! Here we all are for another episode of One More Round. Good evening lads, how y'all keeping?
0: Not, not too bad, bad. And
1: yourself. Yeah good. yeah good, bit tired but I'm good. He's been up too much for the past week. Work unfortunately.
2: Still in mourning.
1: Still in mourning
2: are ya? It's been 11 days. It's not <laughs> getting any better.
1: Not, not that you're counting or anything.
2: No, someone asked me earlier and it's like yeah, it's 11 days and it still hurts.
0: <laughs> Gary? Not enough for too much, just getting ready for a new job, so that's taking oh, up a bit good. of time.
1: Very good. Enjoying your last bit of freedom.
0: Uh yeah, yeah, we'll go with freedom for the for the moment.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Um I suppose jumping straight into it. Um this week we'll be talking some football, some rugby, some UFC, bit of hockey, bit of boxing. The fair range of stuff we'll be talking about this evening. So, um, before that, we have the question. This famous question. Gary, you have to get this one right. <laughs> Alright, we'll, we'll try that. Right, so...
2: That's the spirit. <laughs> that's the
1: spirit, exactly. <laughs> um, Rugby World Cup final this weekend. Richie McCaw is going to be breaking his own record of most appearances ever. What I want to know is, who holds the record for the most Rugby World Cup appearances? So, you've all got that? Yep.
2: This is the number of games and that number of tournaments, yeah?
1: Yep, yep. Number of games in the tournaments, yeah. Okay. We'll start with a bit of football. Tiger Tim, Chris, your favourite manager. He's been sacked.
3: Yeah, poor Tim. Um, I think it was was coming, unfortunately. Villa just haven't performed. Um, And I, I... I kind of feel a little bit sorry for me. I know he gets a lot of stick, and most of it's justified, in fairness. But um, he they lost their three best players um in the summer and didn't really replace them. I mean, they lost Benteke, Delf, and Vlar who was a rock for them at the back over like the, a couple of seasons. So I think a team like that losing three big players like that, they're always going to struggle, and they just they didn't reinvest the money well enough. Um, and the team has struggled, and Tim has paid the price.
1: Yeah, sure, they were struggling anyway the last few seasons, even with them.
3: Yeah, I mean, with those players in, they were still relegation-threatened last year, and Tim and they were struggling and kept them up, but to lose someone like Benteke, I mean, he was injured for a lot of last season, but towards the end, he went on a great goal-scoring run, and that really kind of pushed them away from danger. Without replacing the likes of him, it was always going to be a huge task, and one that Tim uh, inevitably failed
1: yeah um, his last game was uh, against Swansea they lost 2-1 both the IU brothers got on the score sheet but this isn't the first time that's happened though Um, Gary what do you know about this?
0: Uh, the last time it was done was last season when it was Saint-Etienne against Marseille and I believe on that one Jordan you actually came out on the winning team instead yeah, of Andre yep yeah, yep yeah. Yeah, before, before that, they only ever played together on the same team. They were both with um, Marseille, and then the club before that, they were both on the same team. So last season was the first time they played against each other.
1: And uh, what did you make of the game at the weekend itself?
0: Um, Yeah, Swansea were Swansea were the better team. They were just, like, like Chris said, they lost a good spine of the team over the summer, and they got some players in, but nothing... To the same quality as Dale and Bentekis, so I actually I like Sherwood as a manager, but he was ne- he was never going to last. He wasn't given anywhere near enough money to spend. Like I think Jordan, I was actually his his top signing, and that was about eleven million. And but they got thirty two and a half in for Bentekis, so that pretty much says it all. Yeah, but
1: the game itself, did you did you watch any of it or
0: anything? Um. Yeah. No. I I watched the game. It was. They like they got, got the um got the first goal, but they never looked like they were going to hold on hold on to the lead. They were just weak at the back, and then I think they're actually lucky to still have eleven players on the pitch after what happened between Mika Richards and Fernandes.
1: Yeah, it was a bit stupid, wasn't it? he? Seemed to just lose his head.
0: Yeah, I think that it was the pressure of the season coming on to it, coming going to each of the players, and then he's after getting um. Mark, he's actually getting I think he's actually getting fine for it and there might be a ban in there as well
1: I see Um, you said you, you like Tim Sherwood as a manager do you think he'll get another job soon will it be the Premiership
0: no I think the best thing for Sherwood would be to to go to a Championship club and and work his way back up now. I actually think he did a decent job at Spurs Villa he probably should have been given more time but I'd say a Championship club would be his best bet
1: Cool. and Stephen who do you think will replace him there's been talk of Rogers or Moyes or even Dwight York
2: <laughs> <laughs> not Dwight York I think is the best <laughs> answer for that um, Moyes while he's still in a job I think Villa probably aren't going to go and buy him out so right now you're looking at the old, the usual ones who are out of a job and Brendan Rogers is just on the market um, the, the one thing I'd say might work in his favour if he did take the job is they bought a lot of young players. Like they bought Ferratu, they bought Ayew, they bought Um Traore. Like they bought a lot of youth. And I think if you get a manager who can mold a team out of those young players and can shape them, I think Rodgers was good at that at twenty and tried at Liverpool. And if you were going to bring Rodgers in, I think it wouldn't be the worst person in the world.
1: Chris, what do you think? You you paid close attention to Rodgers for a few years at Liverpool. Would he be suited for Villa? Um. I'm not
3: sure, I'm not sure if he'd want the job um, it, Things didn't finish well with him at Liverpool, but it would still be a, a step down um, I read something today, it was interesting now, whether it's that new to it or not but I Rogers is on the short list if uh, Mourinho gets the top of Chelsea So um, that. if that he went. is that he willing to wait off a little bit before accepting a, a smaller team Yeah, that
1: I hadn't read that now, that, that's Sort of a shock to me, to be honest. I got for Mourinho. I'd heard kind of Ancelotti and Hiddink and all that sort of stuff.
3: Yeah, well, you think of all the the big names like up there with Mourinho. There's not very many. the The main one you'd look at would be Guariola Um, if he doesn't want to go to Chelsea and Ancelotti may not fancy going back after the way they treated him, like when he won the double.
1: Before the way they treated him.
3: Yeah, considering he'd recently won them a double, uh, I'm not too sure he'd be inclined to go back and work under Abramovich again. So, if they can't have Andalotti and Pep goes to say Man City or signs a new deal with Bayern, then there's not really that many tracket managers out there. They may have to look for someone younger with um a little well a lot less um achievements and success. Someone like Rodgers that has done well with Liverpool on a limited budget and and see what he can do with all
1: Chelsea's money. Maybe I don't know. It's it's certainly an interesting point. Um yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Um I suppose since we were talking about Chelsea and Jose loses again and again, has lost twice this week now. Um first off though, I have to congratulate you Gary on predicting the West Ham win.
0: <laughs> I just Chelsea Chelsea aren't playing well at the moment and West Ham are West Ham are playing well, so make no <laughs> sense.
1: Last time we're
0: playing well away from home. That was a big win at home for them, though. They were. All, it was only a matter of time before they got a big win at home. Like they, I think, if the status of they're beaten now they're beaten four of the top six from last season so far already this season. They're, just, they're playing really well, so a big, uh, big game at home is due.
3: I'd say with this one though, they were able to set up as the away team. Yeah, exactly. Because like the champions are coming to town, there's less pressure to play the <coughs> football. I think that really benefited them.
2: Yeah, I think they didn't have to take the game to Chelsea very much. Chelsea were very much the dominant team for for most of that game, and what West Ham were able to kind sit back and hit them.
1: Have they been set up perfectly now as like the perfect way you should play as an away team, really?
2: Well, I think it, like, if you if you don't have the money to buy the best players, you need to find a way to counter the team who have them. And West Ham under um, Billich seem to have found that way. The, from the very first game against Arsenal, they hit the ground running, they continued on against the big teams. What they now have to do if they want to progress over the next year, year and a half is figure out how to beat the not so good teams where they have to have possession. It's something Southampton are trying to learn and I think Alan Pardew has talked about having to do it at Palace. And it's it's a different way of of winning a game. Cause it, it, it's a harder thing to do to dominate a game and take your chances and and knock a hit in the counter attack
1: yeah Payet will certainly help anyway
2: yeah he's been superb I think in a, I think it might, might have been a Gary's first pod where he tipped him to be to have a great season and he's been right so far he's just from that, again from that first game against, against Arsenal he just looked a class above every other player on the pitch and some of the things he can do with the ball is just fantastic
1: yeah, and um, looking at the game itself, uh, they always say when these offside decisions are being made, they should give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker. So, should Fabregas' goal have stood? Do you think?
2: It's very hard to be unbiased on this. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Um, he is offside. Now, if it's like when it's it gets marginal, to the,
1: it is so marginal.
2: It's marginal, but it's you're talking about. Nine, six, nine inches, maybe a foot. He's offside. It's it's a right call. So you can't complain. But I think it's only if it's if you're not sure yeah, as a linesman, then you give it the benefit. But if you are if you're sure, then you give it. I don't think it's if you're within one meter of being offside, you should give it. I think it's it's in the linesman's head. If he is sure it's offside, flag it. If you're not sure, then you give the benefit of the doubt. And the linesman obviously felt that he was offside and he was correct like Mourinho complained all day long but if that was at the other end he'd he'd be saying it's it's a great call by the linesman so you can't have it both ways
1: yeah uh, speaking of marginal calls the goal line technology came into play (laughs) have you seen anything as close as that
2: no Um, the odd (laughs) odd time (laughs) watching tennis at Wimbledon you get those kind of those kind of Hawkeye shots, but in football I've never seen it.
3: I saw it in a Champions League game. It actually was Liverpool against Chelsea when it was just that much the other side of the line with Garcia. <laughs>
1: Goal technology didn't prove that.
3: No, it didn't, but I think the officials did on the night, and I, I was very grateful that they had the eagle eyes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> They've gone. They've gone back to 1966 and proven that England's third goal wasn't over the line. So they should probably go back to to Luis Garcia's goal and and see the same thing. <laughs> they obviously
1: just can't prove it. And <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yet another decision that kind of riled Mourinho up before half time was uh, a getting sent off. Gary, he, he was stupid. Two two yellow cards. He had to go, didn't he? Yeah,
0: he had to go. Right you see it every week when a player gets booked especially he gets booked in the first half they have to at least punch themselves until half time and go in, go in and calm down but there was, the second tackle was completely pointless. player was going nowhere and he just again I think it was just all frustration that, and, and like especially with him after being brought on as a sub a week or two in, uh, beforehand and taken off 20 minutes later so a sub getting subbed off in the game I think it was all frustration from Matic, and again Chelsea not playing well. But he was stupid in what he did.
1: Yeah, and um, uh, like so, Chris, we've got Matic getting a red card. I think it's the goalkeeping coach getting a red card. Mourinho got a red card. There just is complete lack of discipline at Chelsea, is there?
3: Yeah, I think that it's easy to see like where it's coming from. I mean, it, Mourinho is the manager. He's the one who's supposed to set the example. I mean, he seems to be fine every every time his team play so it's un- you can see like your man Rui Ferrer was always the next one to be um, in trouble on the touchline and it just seems to be going further down the line now, they're just kind of following Mourinho's lead of everyone's out to get them he's and, really leading by example yeah well in the, in the way you wouldn't want him to, I mean in his first spell it was similar in the way that it was siege mentality and it's us against the world but that, that only works when the team are doing well when yeah, the team are, used to do that as well yeah, and then again, like when things are going well everyone in the camp is happy but when, when you're losing games the way Chelsea are then it just kind of breaks out and it just looks like a mess as opposed to a, a successful team that are just
1: doing what they need to win yeah, did you see the photo at the end when, as he was sent up for the second half to the director's box and when they scored the winner, everyone going crazy around him him, just a big sour pus in his face yeah, I mean, I I don't really know why he's he was
3: so upset. I mean, from what I've heard, he's in for a lot of money if Chelsea do get rid of him. Um, I'm pretty sure I'd be smiling if I was getting thirty seven million. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but like, do they like? Is there not some maybe there are certain like targets he has to be meeting like and like so? They lost West Ham. They lost the Stoke on penalties now midweek as well. Hazard missing the crucial penalty like if if he if he's losing all these games, do you think they could find a way to go we can get rid of you and not have to pay you the full amount or don't have to pay you at all?
3: I wouldn't have thought they would have stipulations like this in place. Like I would say Chelsea would consider a bad season if they're finishing fourth so I, I don't think they ever anticipated this kind of a a drop. I don't think anyone did. I mean they were still the favorites for the league at the on weekend one sure didn't so, we all predict him to win it exactly so I don't think they were they were going to have these clauses in where is if Chelsea are fighting a relegation battle we can get rid of Mourinho because I don't think anyone saw it happening
2: I don't think if they're going to do it it'll be based on results it'll be based on his manner and his ability to lead I think it'll be a if he's bringing the club into disrepute he's
1: done that enough this season
2: exactly that's what I mean I think I'm guessing Abramovich has pretty good lawyers I'm sure they could make a very good case for him being n- not fit to manage the club anymore and and they then you know, it might take a couple of years for the courts just mm-hmm. to figure out whether or not chelsea have actually got the the ability to do it but i wouldn't put it back to Br- Abramovich to try I'm
1: sure Mourinho has sure, uh, lawyers
2: well if he doesn't he should have by now
3: <laughs> i'm sure Abramovich could make him disappear if he wanted to anyway <laughs> <laughs>
1: um but yeah chelsea kind of put a few few of the big guns out and still couldn't do it against Stoke uh, can any is like pinpoint the problem for Chelsea have they become complacent do players or managers want to leave has Jose lost the team or all of the above or what's going on
0: Mourinho is the problem
1: pure and simple that's it just Mourinho
0: yeah he's lost yeah, I think some he's of the players
1: lost. are to blame as well
0: I think what's happening with the players is coming from Mourinho, like he's the one that should be like they should should need to get get up for games and things like that. Like it's premiership, it's cup games, you should want to play want to play your best and it's obviously it's it's all coming from him. He's But
1: is that is that just just playing devil's advocate here then? Like you said, a players should always play their best and want to be up for games. So should if there is problems with the manager, should they still not be playing better than they are?
0: I don't think they I I don't think they want to play for him anymore. But as, think a profes- as a professional footballer, should you not? Uh, as a prof- as a professional footballer, they should. Like they're getting <coughs> stupid amounts of money a week and and all this, so they they should be playing their best every week. But if you lose, if they lost late the Mourinho, they're not going to want. It. I'd say they probably want him out there as soon as they can.
2: On the flip side of that, though, is that if Mourinho isn't doing his job on the training field, you could be a very good defender. But if you're if you're four defenders n- are not playing. As a defensive unit, they're going to let people in offside. They're going to there's going to be holes in your defence, and regardless of how good a defender you are, you're not going to be able to play your best if if your team isn't organised and and say John Terry isn't in line with Zuma, who's not in line with Ivanovic. Like you can blame defensive individual errors, but the reason there's so many dif- defensive individual errors is because the team is, isn't drilled as well as it was last season.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's been that many. Go- I could be wrong now, but. Being like offside or one player holding, playing everyone else onside, and I think it's has it not been more individual errors?
2: Yeah, but they tend to come when defenders aren't playing as a unit. As in, it might it mightn't necessarily be the fact that it's an offside line, but it might be that someone isn't covering the the left back, making the run up top, and Madich isn't dropping in the hole correctly or something along those lines where it happened with United a couple of seasons ago and their moys where players just weren't covering for each other and that left acres of space so then people had to commit someone like John Terry would easily get lost and that's there because he hasn't got the pace so if he tries to commit to a tackle as as happened was it was it against West Brom earlier in the year where he got sent off because he just was out of position tried to get back knocked over I, I think it was Rondon got sent off and it's just it's those kind of mistakes it's not necessarily just sides but your back 4, back 5 or back 6 as, as a lot of teams have these days you need to be drilled as to what to do in certain scenarios and if your wing backs go flying up and don't track back and no one covers them there's huge acres of space and defenders then have to go and commit and make stupid tackles
1: it's, it's all true I suppose um, speaking of a red card we had uh, the time where derby and Colaccini got sent off and to be honest, that changed the game. Um, were Newcastle unlucky? Was it a red? Was it even a penalty? Chris, what do you think? I think it was definitely a penalty. Um, I've kind of gone
3: red and not red, like over and like I initially said red, and then you kind of you said you didn't think so. Um, it was a stupid tackle from Colicini. Um He gave the referee a decision to make, and like I do agree that I think it was Fletcher was going away from goal, so maybe it's not a clear goal scoring opportunity he could have just got the yellow card but a clear penalty and i think colicini made a stupid challenge he didn't have to make so he put it in the hands of the referee and once the once the decision was made and the the red card was issued the game turned completely on its head i mean newcastle had dominated before that but from there sunderland took control
1: yeah they completely did um johnson scoring and was it Jones scored for Sunderland and and Fletcher, like, Fletcher seems to love scoring in that game as well, as as, as does Jones. Seems like
3: everyone except Defoe scored.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as you said, Newcastle were on top until that moment, but uh, during the week the red card got rescinded, so I suppose it's kind of an admission that it probably wasn't a red.
3: Yeah, I think it's pretty much, it's set and sound, like they they re- withdraw the, yet the red card it obviously indicates that they feel the referee made a mistake I think the, the other thing Newcastle can feel a little bit aggrieved at is that they probably should have had a penalty themselves about 30 seconds before that Um. I, I what, saw this
1: with the one when... One. yeah
3: I think that the handball for me is definitely a penalty as he, he tries to flick it around the defender kind of lifts his right arm to stop the ball and then even the second one the second one I'm not so sure about but he does kind of wrap his arm around Wynaldum's neck I'm not sure how much that's him wrapping the arm and how much kind of
1: playing into it but certainly that handball was a penalty for me I think he was looking for the second part definitely and I think the first one it could have been one of those cases of the ref thought it was ball to hand that's obviously what he
3: thought yeah but I think the hand, there is a movement I think the hand's in an unnatural place so yeah it's raised yeah yeah, I, I think that should have been a penalty so Kind of a double whammy for Newcastle.
1: Yeah, that's uh, six wins on the bounce game now for Sunderland. Can they keep this up, Gary?
0: Um, you you have to say they they've got a good chance now with with Sam Allardyce in there. But um, I th- I'd say their aim before Christmas is to try and considering where they started from. If they can be 17, 17th by Christmas, they'd be delighted. But um. No, I don't. I don't think they I mean, they've got. Who's they've got? Everton this week. I can't see them beating Everton.
1: How about what about in Derby? Durk- how long can they go keep beating Newcastle?
0: Oh, Durk- and <laughs> Durk- as, as, as long as they want beating Newcastle, they just don't seem to have, have anything for them.
1: <laughs> and uh, Stephen, I have a question for you. Of the two clubs, who'll finish higher in the table?
2: At the start of the season, I just said Newcastle. Um, with the other in charge, I'd say Sunderland, I can see, like, if they win this weekend, I know it. it uh, it's an ask, but if they win this weekend, Bournemouth and Norwich, I don't think they're going to pick up points, so Sunderland could easily be up to 16th. And then they're only two points behind Chelsea, and <laughs> you, you never know what could happen then.
1: And um, will both managers still be there at the end of the season, do you think?
2: I think Sam, definitely. I think Sam will have that job for either as long as he wants or until the fans get fed up of consistent mid-table performances. Which <laughs> which
1: until the next time they play in Newcastle and they'll sack one and hire someone and win.
2: I don't think so. I think they'll keep Sam now. I think Sam will keep him up this season, I think, providing they get, bring in some reinforcements in the, in the January transfer window. Um, I Yeah, I just don't see Sam Valdeus not keeping them up. That win was huge. I know th- the talent isn't there right now, but he can fashion a team into a into a tough team to beat, such that they'll they'll be better than trailer teams this year. I think Villa depends what they bring in, but they don't look incredible. Newcastle obviously don't look very good. I think Bournemouth will tail off. Norwich, Stoke, mate. there's enough teams they could leapfrog if the guys can organize them well.
1: One last game I'd like to look after this weekend, and how this game could have used a red card or something. But it's a boring Manchester derby. Like this game was awful. A red card would have the game up. Maybe a few more chances. Um, what I saw from the game was that City came to the point. They got it. What I want to know is United as the home team. Gary, should they have pushed for more? Should they have tried to win it?
0: Yeah, they they should have they should have pushed on City. Like you said, City were set up for the draw. They uh, all they wanted was not obviously not to lose the game. But I think it a lot of it comes back to to Wayne Rooney. He's not like he's been good for United over the years, but he's not the main the main threat he was. And I think it was it was seen last night in the, the Middlesbrough game as well. That he just he came on half time for Wilson, who was unlucky getting the injury and having to come off. But just uh, something's. He hasn't got something there, whether it's the confidence or he's actually past his peak now. I don't know what it is, but there's something that Van Halen needs to change with the United attack. Maybe just play Martial up top. Memphis one side, Matt at the other, and I don't know, maybe uh, Andreas Pereira in behind Martial.
1: Okay. Uh, Chris, I'm sure you watched the game. Um, what few chances there were that did seem to fall for United, though? Uh, yeah unfortunately I did watch the game um,
2: <laughs> and unfortunately I, I, they all fell to Chris Smalling
3: I, I liked the tweet that one of the three you put up about it being the most boring match ever I thought it was pretty on, on point um, <laughs> yeah I think like like Stephen just mentioned that probably United's best chance fell to, to Smalling and the other one was uh, was it Lindegaard yeah, Jesse Lingard. It was it yeah. was a lovely pass from uh, Marshall and Furness. Um, I don't know if Lingard should have done better. I mean, it, it wasn't the easiest of chances, but maybe if I don't know if you had Rooney six or seven years ago, there he would have put it away. Or maybe I... even if you had Marshall playing the pass to himself, they might have hit the target. But <laughs> he's good. He's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately fortunately for you, he can't do everything. Um. Well, just a really poor poor game. Um, Like you say, City came for the points and they got it. Maybe they're learning a little bit from the, the Chelsea team last year.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. my, my, my I were set up uh, also to make sure that they weren't threatened by De Bruyne and Sterling. I think, I think Phil Hall realised that without Aguero, everything City were going to do was going to be under counter-attack with Sterling in the and the Bruin and in United the defence really shut them down to the point where Sterling was taken off after less than an hour because he just was ineffective.
1: Yeah, I thought the two full were superb.
2: Yeah, as in defensively it was a good performance by Man United and by City. The problem is defensively, when, when two teams are good defensively the games don't tend to be fun to watch so Van Hal would probably be happy enough for the point because they didn't concede a goal and like I said with Pellegrini doesn't have Silva and doesn't have Aguero in his team and you go away to one of your title contenders and get a draw he's you, not going to be disappointed either
1: yeah it's very true um, and then Stephen City pushed on midweek hammering Palace 5-1 whereas United lost yet another penalty shootout this time to Middlesbrough after the game ended the law. so what was that their fourth penalty shoot in a row they've lost now or something um, is Van Gaal's supposed philosophy starting to annoy some of the United fans
2: to be honest it's starting to annoy me um, there are rumblings of discontent because I think you wouldn't mind if you could see where they're going but as, as Gary mentioned earlier with someone like Wayne Rooney clearly not performing and Van Gaal clearly blind to the fact for some reason whether it be Rooney sells jerseys in Asia or he's the United captain or whatever the reason is he seems to be un- undroppable and when someone's playing that badly it's you're, you're basically playing with 10 men so regardless of how Van Hal sets his team up, like defensively they've been good this season, with the chopping and changing they have still won the best defensive record in the league if you take away the Arsenal game where we just conceded 3 goals in 20 minutes but they're slow and they're static going forward and that's People might joke about this But it's not the United way They've always been a fast attacking Pacey team with, with wingers And and exciting players Now you've brought in Mad over the last few years Martial looks exciting Depay looks exciting But they're not playing To suit these players' strengths And if you, it's all well and good Buying these exciting players But Van Hal doesn't seem to want to use them In their best positions As proven with and um, Marshall being out on the left and Herrera being well if if he'd even started, he's not started in the centre very often where he's most effective.
1: So you you are getting a bit annoyed. The yes. whole thing. What about you, Gary?
0: No, I am. I'm I'm getting annoyed with it because I like Stephen said United have been known for years, like with pacey ringers going from geeks to Andre Kinchalskis. Ronaldo. They've just always had pace going forward on the wings and They they don't have, well they have that with Memphis and with Martial, but it needs more than the two players. And I think it is because of the captaincy that Rooney hasn't been dropped. They just probably give it to give give the captaincy to Schweinsteiger and just give Rooney a spell out of the team, just a couple of games, and maybe maybe that will help him because I think it'll definitely help him. uh, Why Schweinsteiger? Why not?
1: Why not Smalling or Carrick? Um,
0: Schweinsteiger was. He's German captain now and he was captain for Bayern. I just. I think it's suited for him.
2: Yeah, he's, he's the most suitable captain either himself or De Gea. But if De Gea is leaving next summer and they know that, then they won't give him the captaincy.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. It's definitely one to watch.
2: Or not watch, the case may be.
1: Or not watch. If the games are like like they were last weekend, yeah. <laughs> right. Moving on, guys. Time for a bit of rugby chat. Um start off on a sad note though with uh, the news that Felix Jones has been forced to retire at the age of twenty eight because of a neck injury. Stephen, I know you're the resident Munster fan here. Uh his last game was against Glasgow in round three of the pro twelve playing for Munster. Um just it's a big loss for Munster and Ireland.
2: It, it is. I think not so much for Ireland. I think he's obviously a fringe a fringe squad player for the for the Irish team but
1: I've heard he was quite a popular player, though both for club and country.
2: <coughs> um, yeah, from the sounds of it, he has been. Uh, from the number of tweets and the number of people who've come out in the game over the last forty eight hours, to pay him compliments. Rob Kearney's heartfelt tweet, that was so sincere. Um, that man is boring. He really is. <laughs> um, yeah, he'll be a loss to us. He's he's somebody who can cover multiple positions. If Munster were picking their thirteen, fifteen right now, he'd probably be in it. Um, but like, but like I said, he's very popular in squads. He's he gives everything. he like he's he was never the most talented player. I think with a broken leg that happened four five years ago, just as he was first breaking in, and he looked to be very exciting. I think that probably held back his career. Even if he came back from it, he wasn't quite the player. You know, I think he learned to play the in, in the Joe Schmidt system, where it's not about being the most talented player, it's about being a hard-working player and knowing your role and minimising mistakes. So, Schmidt loved them in that regard, and I think he'll, he'll be a in Munster.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. So, I know he had that awful, broken neck. Hey, who was that against? Can you remember? It was a few years ago.
2: Oh, no. Don't remember.
1: But obviously, obviously, all precautions need to be taken, and his health is the most important thing. So, it is sad to see him go. He had made ninety appearances for Munster, ten tries, fifteen appearances for Ireland, three tries. Just suppose all we can say is all of us here at one more round, wish him all the best for the future.
2: Of course, the yeah. same with Kevin McLaughlin earlier in the year for Leinster. It's it's horrible to see players' careers end early, and it seems to be happening. Well, I'm not sure if it's happening more and more, but it does seem to be a very prevalent trend in, in rugby these days where you're, you're losing a lot of players younger than they should be.
1: Is medical care becoming more, like, everyone's much more aware of it now, so doctors <coughs> are highlighting the issue more and players are more aware of it, so they are, not they're not risking themselves as much now, like, 10-15 years ago, they just would have played on and didn't know how much of a risk there was. Or is the game getting more physical, or what? I,
2: it's very difficult to say. I think the uh, the uh, the answer is probably both. I think with the strength and conditioning teams have gone under, the the size of players in general, the strength of players, it's it's a much tougher game to play nowadays, and that's going to lead to more injuries and and worse injuries because they're bigger collisions and they're they're more violent. But like you said, there's also the other side of the coin where ten years ago, if players got concussions they played on and played on and played on as you, as you saw in rugby and in American football and nowadays if you're getting con- concussions your doctors are stopping you from playing you're, you're, they're going under tests you're taken away for as you saw in George North's case for months to make sure that, that the welfare of the player is, is, is to the front I think it's right but I think you will see more and more of, of this kind of early retirement and players being looked after.
1: Yeah, and
2: I, I suppose it's rightly so as well. It is. Like we all love the sport but I don't think we'd rather have I don't know, if you give me a choice of a monster win and or or a monster right, a monster win with um an injured player ending his career or a monster loss and everyone leaving the pitch intact, I think every fan, regardless of, of how proud they are, would rather their players be fit and healthy than and just do sacrifice themselves for a win.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, moving on to <laughs> biggest game of the weekend, the Rugby World Cup final. Two best teams that are left in the tournaments. Chris, you predicted two teams to get to the final. Was
3: it these two? No, it wasn't. it was only one of the two. Um, I I had said from we the the very start when we put our prediction that South Africa would make the final. So. I stuck with it last week, and I think they had their chances with about twelve minutes to go. Um, but as Stephen mentioned, it seems like South Africa have kind of lost their um, their ability to win these big games. The way they used to just be able to kind of grind it out. Um, I remember like they had a great position, kind of in in New Zealand's territory, and. New Zealand just kind of robbed the ball from them and it kind of seemed like they didn't get it back for the, the remainder of the match just very smart and very efficient play from New Zealand and a case where South Africa will be kind of regretting this when known they probably had a, a chance to beat New Zealand on the day
2: Yeah I was very surprised at, at how easy it was in the last 5 minutes for New Zealand I expected it to be a massive push from South Africa and it, it just didn't come like the first Fifty sixty minutes was a fantastic contest, but in the last five ten minutes, New Zealand, it was it was almost comfortable, which is surprising to say in a World Cup semi final.
1: Gary, like, South Africa never really looked like they were to try throughout the
0: whole game, did they? No, they just. I I think they didn't have a good run of form coming into the World Cup, and uh, obviously the surprise loss to Japan. I think at the start they. I think, I think it finally took its toll on them in the in the semi-final they just they just don't look a good team anymore they've got good individual players but as a team they don't it's just not playing well and it showed against the Obelich Do
1: you not think the loss against Japan was going to have a kick up the ass for them and they've improved a lot since
0: then? Uh, I I think it's actually a, it's a bit of both because like if they go down either, that was the biggest ever upset in, in rugby world cup history and it's gone against them but uh, I think that was the motivating factor again from it but to start off with a loss and to start with a loss against a team who they're expected to beat by 20, 30, 40 points whatever whatever it was um, and now I just think it, it just took its toll on them and uh, JP Peterson and Havana I think they maybe only touched a lot ha- a handful of times on Saturday and if you want to do if you want to do it against the All Blacks? You need to get them involved, and they just couldn't do it. I see, yeah. Um,
1: the teams have been announced. Richie McCaw will be playing his last ever game for the All Blacks. I think this is a cap and one four nine. Am I right with that? Anyone know?
2: That sounds right. I think it was one four eight in in the semi-finals.
1: Yeah, so he's just missing out on that one fifty. Um, they'll bring him back. The wow. <laughs> they'll bring it him.
2: Is. They'll bring him back for some game next year.
1: Just a special, a special test like is, is that, that that's an unbelievable amount of games and especially for a team like the All Blacks uh, will, will that ever be beaten? Well it might
3: be beaten because um I read an article with Richie today saying that he's not going to decide his fate until after the World Cup so uh, he may very well beat it himself he may beat his own record he may well do um, he's going to wait till he gets home after the World Cup and see what he wants to do but <laughs> There may well be a temptation to have one more crack at the rugby championship. The other side of the argument is that he's still playing at such a high level. Um, he may turn around and say to himself, like, why why should I leave? I'm still probably the best player in my position. I can I can at least have another year, maybe two years. Um, like you're a long time retired, so he may well decide to play on.
2: I'm surprised he hasn't yeah, done Paul O'Connell though. And gone for a year or two in Europe,
1: so it's not international rugby he's retiring from. It's just club rugby.
2: No, but he's going back to New Zealand, so I'm surprised in the way that there's quite a few players going after the World Cup across to for that paycheck. And maybe he might do it, but I would imagine it, w- it would already have been announced the way so many of them are. So yeah, like Carter's, who's going next season or well, this season, I suppose. Maybe he'll do it next season maybe he'll evaluate when the World Cup's over see how he is financially and if his family want to make the move
1: yeah interesting point um, Chris I heard this today I don't know how true it is or not but what I heard was that Australia have never lost when Pocock and Hooper have played together um,
3: that's an incredible stat.
2: <coughs> how many times has it been though
1: yeah I don't think it's been that many to be honest but it sounds nice, doesn't
3: it? it? It could be like Liverpool saying we've never lost when Benteke and Sturridge have lined up together. <laughs> um, you, you need to back it up with some stats for it to be really impressive. But it, it does sound good to hear it.
1: it. It might give the Australians a bit of confidence going into it. So before the tournament so far,
3: I think this has the potential to be a very high scoring game. game. Um, I mean, the games Australia have won at knockout, they've. They've been high-scoring games against Scotland and again against Argentina. Um, the worry I would have is that we met each other earlier in the year in the, the Rugby Championship. The first time round, it was it, the game just didn't live up to us. It. it was very scrappy and very lacking in quality. And if that is the case, then uh, Skler will not catch the because there'll be no tries in the game.
1: Yeah, well, uh, will this will this be a tight affair?
3: I have no idea. It 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 could be one or the other. I kinda half thinking it could be like that match I just mentioned, kinda really scrappy, in which case it's gonna come down to Carter and Foley. Or then I I think that because the lesser teams I would say like Scotland and Argentina have been able to score against this Australia side, if it's an open game New Zealand could just wipe them off the park and like maybe maybe even put like forty or fifty points to Australia's twenty
1: or thirty that would be, be
2: exciting to watch i think if you look back at previous world cup finals though they tend to be low scoring matches like what well, there was two in the last one much sure there was any in the south africa england world cup final There's the, at most i think the, the highest they ever been is maybe three tries across both teams in the world cup final they're low scoring events well i think we'd all love to see at 35 32 i'd 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 imagine no one will, will break 30.
1: Cool. Lads, I'm going to get you to put your necks on the line here. Uh, who's going to win it?
0: Gary? Uh, I'll go New Zealand by seven. By seven. And Stephen?
2: At the start of the tournament, I predicted New Zealand. At the end of the group stages, I switched that to Australia. I'm going to stick with Australia by... Uh last minute try
1: a last minute try and uh chris um i'm gonna go
3: new zealand and i'm gonna say 10 new
1: zealand by 10 stephen I'll, I'll jump on your side here i i said australia from the get-go I'm not going to change your prediction now australia by well, less than a score seven point less than seven points anyway but,
2: yeah i think it'll be a brilliant final i think it's the two best teams in the world and it doesn't always turn out that way and you got also the best referee in the world with nigel owens getting the game so
1: it is it is it is is only right to mention that nigel got that game thank you for reminding me of that
2: well i think he's the most respected referee he is the best referee i think and it would be a travesty. I think he's 43, so I'm not sure if there a cut-off point at 45 the way there is a football. So this might have been his last chance, so you had to give it to him.
3: Well, wasn't Alan Roland
2: 47 the last World Cup? I'm not sure if that's what I was asking. I'm not sure if it's the same as football where there is a cut-off point or whether you can retire whenever you want to.
3: I, I think he was, I'm not certain on that. But I, I talk, thought Alan Roland was late 40s when he got the got the uh final last time.
1: I suppose if you if can go on for another one, there's no reason why you wouldn't get the final again, I suppose, unless you have to give it to someone else.
2: In four years time they might want to give it to Stuart Barnes in their infinite wisdom. But um yeah, I'd I'd give every game possible tonight alone <laughs> to be honest.
1: I love forty eight games you're
3: up. <laughs>
2: yeah, you do it No, you know that.
3: <laughs> I'd be I'd be happy for Stuart Barnes to get it as well if it meant that Wayne Barnes didn't. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: that
1: would be interesting to see Stuart Brown running around that pitch for eighty minutes.
2: I'm not gonna like Stuart Brown would do a far better job than Wayne Burns. <laughs> well, you, you know the uh, the ref
1: might be very entertaining at least.
2: It would. He's uh, he's actually been a superb commentator yeah. on yeah, on Irish television. Be
1: excellent. Yeah, it'd be very good. Um Chris, you went to uh, the UFC in Dublin last weekend.
3: Uh, how was it? it was very enjoyable um obviously during the week kind of the disappointment with the card falling apart but actually at the event itself and the atmosphere was incredible um unfortunately it was kind of a, a mixed night for the irish lads um call pendred he was there's no other word for it. he he was given a beating by um tom breeze it was a a quick well it was a first round stoppage. I mean, fair play to call he, he had great hearts. He kept coming forward but he took an awful lot of punishments and it looked like he had a broken nose very very early on. Um the good the good news for the Irish fans was big wins for Norman Park and Neil Seary. Seary actually got a a bonus for his um his uh, performance of the night. And then a, a massive win for Ashling Daly over Erica Almeida. Um, she won a, a decision and a fight that went the, the full fifteen minutes. Um then obviously there was a the huge disappointment with the main events as Paddy Houlihan was um submitted by Louis Smoker. and um, this was in the second round after Paddy had done quite well in the first round but towards the end of it Smoker kinda of got on top and he kind of took control in the second round overall it was a really enjoyable card despite the the many ca- casualties to the the card throughout the week
1: yeah um i was going to ask you i know you i know we talked about it during the week but i had heard reports of lots of people throwing bottles and stuff but you said there was only a few was there there was a few unfortunately like with a, with a
3: crowd that size i mean you're you're bound to get one or two idiots. Um, yeah, like I was, I stood there towards the end till t- we were pretty much kicked out of our seats, just kind of like standing there in shock at what had happened in the main event. Yeah. Um, I would say it was a, a very small minority. Um, but yeah, there were people throwing things into the ring and or the octagon, I should say. And unfortunately, that's not the first time that's happened in Ireland. There was a Obama MMA event held in the the three arena earlier in the year with the the same kind of thing happening. Yeah, it,
1: it's this. As I said, it's only minority though, and the majority are just good honest fans, I suppose. Yeah, well, like I said, there was a there was a good group of people that were just kind of stood there
3: in shock, like uh, applauding Smoker who'd had a terrific win, and and then giving Paddy a good cheer because he's still a home favorite and. We were proud of his his attempts in the fight. So, like I said, majority of people there for the fight and supportive of the fighters, and only a couple of idiots that probably gave a bad name to it more than they should have.
1: Yeah, and uh, what's sort of next few few weeks of the UFC? Anything big coming up? And uh, we have a, a break this weekend, and then we have
3: a, a very busy couple of weeks coming up after that. We've got Vitor Belfort fighting. Don Henderson in Sao Paulo. That's on the seventh of November. Um, there's also Glover Teixeira and Patrick Cummings on the card, and then the the really big ones the week after that on the the fourteenth of no, of September November. Sorry, that's the um the, the big one in Melbourne in the the cricket ground.
1: Oh, the MCG's hosting it.
3: Yep, yeah, that's so that's going to be seventy thousand, I think. Wow. Uh, it will be the highest um, attended UFC or MMA fight ever that's, that, impressive. that's going to be Ronda Rousey versus Holly Holm on the, the main event and then the co-main is going to be the champion Joanna John Jacek against Valerie Letourneau so the women's strawweight title and the woman's bantamweight title on the line and the other big fight on this is going to be Mark Hunt against Antonio Bigfoot Silva. Um, The two of these guys fought a few years ago. They fought a five-round war. It was absolutely incredible the amount of punishment the two of them took. And I think the UFC are kind of banking on a similar kind of fight because there's going to be so much interest in this one. Yes, that's one of the big ones as
1: well. It sounds like a big card, all right.
3: Yep. Well, they're they're going big because um, they've got the stadium to fill, and they're they're looking at breaking all kinds of records on that weekend probably pay-per-view records and all as well. Yep, thankfully um it's part of subscription over here so no pay-per-view
1: money in order. <laughs> Excellent. Uh moving on to some news a bit closer to home and uh the Irish men's hockey team have qualified for Rio twenty sixteen. It's the first time since nineteen oh eight that the Irish men's hockey team will be represented in the Olympics. Stephen, what an achievement
2: Yes it has been. Um, Both the men's and women's teams have made huge improvements over the last few years. They're both unlucky. I think they were within one game of qualifying for London 2012 four years ago. Both teams and now the men's team have finally done it. Um, They came fifth in the World League which meant they were reliant upon Australia defending their Oceania Cup title. It worked the same way in qualifying for Europe in football where if the if a team who's already qualified wins, the runner-up of the tournament doesn't get that slot. So by Australia d- winning the Oceania Cup, New Zealand, who they beat in the final, don't automatically qualify. Therefore, we get the last of the twelve slots for Rio 2016. So the boys in green love you there.
1: Excellent. Um, yeah, it's been it's the end of a brilliant 2015 for them, as you mentioned. Came fifth in the World League. They got bronze in the European Championships. Um, where does this all come
2: from? Do you know who's behind it all? Um, They brought a new coach about 3-4 years ago and followed roughly the same model as Irish cricket. They just kind of become more professional. They've better training techniques, they're, much, they're fitter, they're stronger and they're now able to compete for more than 40-45 minutes. They're now able to compete for the entire match. And in the same way that we've seen huge strides made in, in rugby for those... 10 to 20 place teams I think we're seeing something similar in in Irish hockey
1: Excellent Um, Moving on to the boxing and it seems like we may be taking a step back here with this old Billy Walsh saga Um, Mm. Yeah It's been uh, claimed that keeping him would have cost the IABA 1.6 million Uh, He was already the highest paid member of the association and this new deal would have apparently seen him get a 60% increase is it a loss we can recover from and should he have been paid what he wanted or was it too much and they were right to let him go
2: the fact that there was a deal in place and they were saying for the last few weeks there's been a deal in place means that all this talk about money is, is more than likely just rubbish and the IABA trying to come up with some excuse to save face there was a bid table I think Walsh had in principle agreed to it only for the IABA to renege on that deal and then after months of negotiations where really the IBA just kind of waited and waited and waited, I'm not even sure what they were waiting for to be honest, but Billy Walsh got fed up and I'm assuming that the the, the bid from the US, when it was tabled, Walsh was using it as a a, a negotiating employee to basically get the IBA to speed up contract negotiations and to get the deal in place and signed. But the longer they dragged, that became more of a reality, and in the end, the IBA lost probably the best Irish coach across sport right now.
1: I know, I heard quotes from today that he wants to do in the US what he's done here in Ireland and build up a bit of legacy, and he's, he's so honoured to work for such a great boxing nation like the US. Do you oh. think... Go on? No, go on, sorry. No, I'm just, I'm just asking, do you think that he will stay there that long and build up a legacy or will they try to get it back when this first contract runs out let's say
2: Um, I think it depends on what happens with the IBA if they it looks though like it was a power struggle and whoever it was, he was struggling with got their way in the end I think if Sport Ireland and John Tracy can do some kind of I know there's an, an Oireachtas committee investigating here right now but if there's a proper investigation into it and Sport Ireland can maybe clean house in IBA. I'm not sure how feasible that is, but if new people take over and that power struggle isn't there, I'd say Billy Walsh would happily come back in a couple of years. And um, if he doesn't, then he'll more than likely do what he did for Irish boxing for U.S. women's boxing. Like it might be a case where it's a much bigger structure, and he doesn't quite fit in. In but I can imagine him running an American amateur gym this much same way as he would an Irish one except that there's a much larger pool of talent come from, from across the what, 350 million people they have over there
1: Yeah I know he's gone down until the end of November I think it is he's checking out a few of the female boxes around the place and then he's moving up to uh, Tennessee or Virginia or something like that to get settled then
2: Yeah the one thing I'd say is that he probably doesn't have a huge amount of time you're talking about nine months to the Rio Olympics, ten months so whatever he can do in, in that time it might be slightly unfair if, if there's not a massive performance jump by the US boxers to judge him on, on nine months a year, but if he's there for four or five years, I can imagine they will be much, much improved.
1: Do you think that what he's done for Ireland will be enough for Ireland to still get a couple of medals in Rio?
2: Yeah, and um, I've said it before, I think you won't see a drop-off this year. I don't think a lot of the boxers will be disappointed, but if you look at someone like Michael Conlon, he's not suddenly going to become a bad boxer in nine months. Yeah, he's a world champion, European champion. I think he's pan every title he could have, either he has won it or he's currently holding. So people like Conlon are, are not going to f- fall away. It's the next it's, it's the next generation. Yeah, it's the ones, it's the nineteen, twenty-year-olds now. The ones behind Conlon and Nevin and the rest of them. I, it's those who will who will suffer in in this.
1: there might even be less of an interest. I'd say a lot of people would would, would have been looking forward to working with them
2: that's true but i think regardless of who you are or regardless of where you are in ireland i think you want to compete in the olympics for ireland and i think billy walsh i think a lot of them loved coaching under him but i don't think there's anybody who will defect the uk possibly or will will go professional earlier i think that olympic gold medal in amateur boxing is still one of the biggest things you can do in boxing in Irish boxing yeah. it is even more so than well not more so but it's it's more prestigious in Ireland than it is around the world a lot of people will go professional early on but we like to see people who I think is it Nevin's third Olympics or yeah, it it's up. so he could have gone pro earlier but such is, such is the prestige of that Olympic gold medal that that a lot of Irish boxers will, will stay amateur for, for much longer
1: that's good it's a nice little wrap up of that situation there anyway we'll keep an eye on that as well see how he gets on um, better the week time again this week and uh, had no luck last week uh, our two big shots came in our two three to 3-1s came in but Stoke losing to Watford just you, you know you're not going to have a good day if that happens so uh, we'll try again this week and uh, Chris it's your turn to place the bet so do you want to talk us through it? yep so we have gone for wins for
3: Stoke, West Ham, Everton, and Spurs, and against my better judgment, Stephen has gone for a draw between Liverpool and Chelsea.
2: <laughs> and what would your better judgment have been there, Chris?
3: It would be a, a two-one away win. For what reason? Um, I hope we win.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: Just like I thought. <laughs>
1: Do you know up on there what sort of money we'll be getting back? Yep. On our, our 40 euro bet, the
3: return is just over 2,478. Yeah.
2: 620 quid each.
1: Yeah, so if if people at home want to jump along and they want to throw a tenner on it, a bit over 600 quid return, not bad. And then for a new thing that we've started now, we're, I suppose... What, about 10, 10 games into the season but we're going to jump in mid-season and try this out every week we're going to place a 5 euro bet of our own choosing and at the end of the season see who has made the most money or lost the most money I suppose <laughs>
0: but um,
1: Gary do you want to start us off there by what you're putting on as your 5 euro bet for this week
0: yeah I'm going to go with uh, Payet to score any time and uh, West Ham to win so for for that it's the odds
1: are 11 to 2 which
3: isn't a bad prize considering the one play it's been in yeah very true and uh chris um i've gone for the liverpool chelsea game and i am gone for roberto firmino to score the first goal and that's at nine to one
1: okay and uh stephen
2: yeah i'm so confident of the draw in the chelsea liverpool game that i'm backing chelsea one liverpool one at six to one
1: seem to be taking the riskiest bet this week. Then I'm not happy with that. I should I should have started low, go for an early win. But uh, I've gone Vardy to score two or more goals at ten to one. I know he's in good form, but maybe I shouldn't have gone for that. Maybe I should have gone for like, a first goal scorer one or something. It's too, it's too late now. Too late. The best already in place, and though, oh well. Um. So as you've had about an hour, think about the question I asked you, and the question was, who holds the record for the most rugby World Cup appearances? Um, does anyone think they know this definitely, or is this all guesswork, or how confident are is?
3: I have it between two people in my head, and I kind of know who I'm going to go for now, but I'm not sure if it's the right one. Okay. Um, I've
2: only got one, but I'm not that confident.
1: Okay, and Gary, you're very quiet there, but um, Gary... <laughs> We'll give you a chance to get off the mark. You need this victory. Come on. I, I believe in you, Gary.
0: <laughs> What's the answer to the question? Um, I know the the one that came to my head was Sean Fitzpatrick.
1: Okay, and how many games do you think he played?
0: That, not, that you I don't like, get
1: any more points of that, but I'm just
0: curious. No, that, that I couldn't tell you. The first one that came to my head was Sean Fitzpatrick, so I'm, I'm going with that.
1: All right, and... um, Chris, you've got a choice of two, so go on. Tell us which one you're going for, though. I'm going to go for... George Cregan Okay And Just out of curiosity again How many games? As a guess I'll say 16 Alright And finally Stephen One answer as you, One answer only Go on
2: It's Johnny um, Wilkinson If he played In the 2007 World Cup I'm hoping he did I'm going to guess Um, would have been Probably 19 games
1: None of you are right <laughs> right. It was a tough question, but it was... Uh, I, I, I wanted to get off the leaderboard, to be honest, so I'm getting the points It's not this. Victor Matfield. What? Huh? Just tell me it's not Victor Matfield. It's not Victor Matfield. That's okay then. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wanted to make it tough off because I really did want to get off the <laughs> leaderboard as well. So, um, I wanted to make it a it, it was tough but fair. It, it was tough but fair. To be fair. I'm glad you agree. Um, the answer was Jason Leonard. England prop who played 22 games between 1991
2: and 2003 yeah so I wasn't too far off with my English but pick you anyway you had the right country
1: yeah <laughs> but um do we get yeah. a point for that <laughs> no I ain't getting the point this time Steve
2: okay Glenn fair enough
3: I'm off I can the tell leader you who his last appearance was against in the World Cup for a bonus point <laughs>
1: <No>
2: bonus <laughs> <points>. <laughs>
1: just before we say our goodbyes just going to throw out a few links to other media that you have there if you ever want to get in contact with us so uh, we're on twitter and it's uh, at one more round pod and that's the number one Uh, we're also on facebook and it's facebook.com forward slash one more round pod and it's again the number one on soundcloud we're soundcloud.com forward slash one more round podcast and once again the number one then our email address is one more round podcast at gmail.com Again, the number one. And finally, our website is one more onemoreroundpodcast.wordpress.com. And that's O-N-E for some reason. But anyway, that's how you, we're going to try sort of that and get them all synced up. But that's how, if you want to contact us, that's how you go about it. Um, well, that's it for another week here at One More Round. We have a great weekend of sports to look forward to, especially the Chelsea-Liverpool game at quarter to one. Of course, the Rugby World Cup final of four, both on Saturday. Uh, he's going trick-or-treating or anything. Saturday night after the games.
3: I'm sure I'll be out for a pint. Sure you'll be out for a pint. You're gonna call into a few doors to get chocolate bars on the way home. See if the anyone giving out cans of
1: boomers <laughs> <laughs> Trick-or-treating for the adults <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, enjoy your weekend guys. I'll talk to y'all next week. <laughs> Now get up one
0: more round. Get <laughs> up! Don't lay down! like this guy hard! Come on! Come on! He's no
2: machine!
1: Fight in the NOBL! Get up, you son of a bitch! He's making love.